So we come to the scripture and we ask you please to pray with me. Gracious God, um, as we open your word, we know that we're listening to you speak. And your word is the only one that really matters in all of life. And so I pray that this passage um, would be to us um, as it is meant to be the very word of God. So please, I pray, enable us to live from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to Luke and chapter 7. Gospel according to Luke chapter 7, please. I want to read beginning with verse 36 through the end of of the chapter. Uh, this, uh, This is the word of the Lord. One of the Pharisees asked him, the him there is Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. He owed 500 denarii and the other One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and has wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who can You even forgive sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We've been uh, encountering Jesus, um, various ones. Uh, We're doing this because you remember at an early encounter with Jesus when this man, old man, Simeon in the temple encountered the baby Jesus. He made mention that the hearts of many will be revealed. And that is in seeing Jesus reveals the hearts of people. And that's significant because uh, when we think about Jesus, what we believe about him, what we know about him means everything. And so uh, we've looked at various ones. Nathaniel, you might remember, encountered Jesus and was amazed that he was known by him. And that meant everything to him. His heart was revealed. He knows me. And that means he's the Christ I will 
trust him. Where were many at this wedding where Jesus attended, um, encountered him? And, and the question there was, uh, when we encounter Jesus, does our hearts, do our hearts reveal that we're filled with joy because of that encounter? The wedding, it was to be a joyful time. They were to drink this great wine and be filled with joy. Did When we encounter Jesus, is joy revealed uh, in us? Uh, Nicodemus came at night. And the question is, when we encounter Jesus, the darkness go away and life be revealed in our hearts um, Peter encountered Jesus when he was fishing and, and what was revealed in Peter was his own sin, but, but yet still there was a mission. Do we get that? Do we understand there's mission? Is that our heart's desire when we encounter Jesus? Well, today we encounter Jesus again through the lives of a couple of people for this Pharisee, Simon, and also this woman, this notorious uh, Sinner. Well, it begins at a, at a dinner party. This Pharisee. Now you remember the Pharisees, um, respected during the days of, of Jesus. Um, and actually, there was a good part of the, the the Pharisees. They they had a desire, at least in their founding, to 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 keep the law and to obey it. Uh, that was the good part of that. The bad part of that is that life led to. Uh, some sense of self-righteousness, of being hypercritical of others, to, to think themselves better than others because of the life that they lived. And that was the, the bad part of it, is, if you will, uh, where we talk about being pharisaical. It means to be hypercritical, uh, condemning really of others. And even a life of being a hypocrite, as Jesus once called them, as people who were like whitewashed tombs, uh, looking pretty on the outside, not so pretty on the inside. And so, so this Pharisee Simon invites, uh, Jesus to his, to his house. Now, why would he do that? Why would this Pharisee invite Jesus to, to his house for dinner? Well, we're not told why. He just did. But, but it could be that the word in the street was that Jesus was a prophet. And so now he, Simon asked him to come into his house, uh, to test him perhaps? To see if he would measure up? To this Pharisaical, this Pharisee's standard, what it meant to really be, to be holy. The, this word Pharisee is, is, is from a word that means the separated one. So did he view Jesus as one who would be separated from sinners, separated from sin, and, and be holy, as at least Simon thought himself and others that like him to be holy? Uh, it could be that says Simon wanted to have a celebrity into his house and say, here's one who's getting more and more well known. And so he would have him in. We get the suspicion, though, there's something going on here because Simon didn't greet Jesus with the normal kinds of hospitality that you would meet a guest with coming to your house, especially a guest of the kind of notoriety that Jesus at least was 
coming into. He, he didn't uh, give him the ceremonial or the, the kiss of friendship, if you will. He, he didn't give him any water to clean off his feet because in those days uh, with the kinds of uh, shoes or the lack thereof people would wear, uh, get everything imaginable from the streets uh, on their feet. And so coming to a party like this, uh, you would receive some water somehow to rinse off and to, to soothe your feet. And, and uh, he gave him... Of course, uh, none of none of that. He didn't give him any perfume, any oil to anoint his head, kind of spruce things up a bit, you see, in terms of smell. And so he didn't, didn't have that either. And, and so we wonder why. But anyway, he's at Simon's house. And you know, it's, 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 it's a party in the days of Jesus. And so we understand what's going on, probably held in an open air courtyard or a courtyard of sorts where the invited guests would be there as we find reclining a table. So you, you understand they're lying on couches, if you will, um, uh, facing into where the food has been laid out and probably laying on, on their left arm, if you will, to be able to get food and so forth like that. So you can get the picture of this. So his head's towards the table he's laying and his feet are outside as is everyone else is around this, around this table. So they're reclining um, at the table in that sense. And, and because it was in the open, because of the, the culture of the day, uh, even if you weren't invited to be around the table, uh, if you lived in the neighborhood or around and about, you could go. You, you felt welcome to just sort of go and, and be on the outside of all that, listening to what's taking place. And especially if it was a party where there was a, a celebrity of sorts, you might want to go and just see uh, uh, and listen. And so there were others who would be around. But this woman would never have been around. She would never have thought herself to be even on the periphery. And Simon would never have imagined that she would come into his place. But she did. She knew Jesus was there. Completely unexpected, uh, you get the sense from the Pharisee's angle. He, he wouldn't have uh, imagined again that a woman like this would show up. She was, she was a, what we might call a tabloid sinner. Everybody knew her sins. Uh, we don't have it explicitly here. It's likely, tradition has it, that she's a prostitute, some sort of sexual sin in her life. Uh, but whatever that is, she's an unwelcomed one from this one who's a separated one and now one like her comes into this place and, 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 and she, she just takes center stage, if you will, because she begins to weep. And this isn't just sort of the crying, but this is the kind of crying that produces the kind of tears that if you bent over, your tears would fall such on a person's feet that you could actually see them and they would moisten uh, the feet in such a way that even bring cleaning to whatever was there. Those are the kind of tears that she was shedding. You get the sense that this is a big deal. She is literally overwhelmed and we'll come to know why she's overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus. Somehow she knows that she's been forgiven by him. Perhaps it had been a, a previous time where she had heard him teach or come into his presence. And now she knows that even her life, uh, given its notorious sinfulness, she knows she's forgiven and she sees Jesus and she, she sees him there and she's now overwhelmed. What may have one time been tears of contrition are now tears of joy and celebration as one who's free from all the shame and all the guilt. No doubt she would never have come into that kind of scene before. 
at least without being paid. But here she is. Weeping uncontrollably. Again, so much so that it falls to his feet and, and, and then, then she does the unthinkable where she lets down her hair. And for us, that's not a big deal, I suppose. But in the days of Jesus, you realize that when a woman got married, she put her hair up and in public, she was never seen again with her hair down. That to be seen with your hair down would be like, like, like taking off her dress. And so it was scandalous that she would do such a thing. And then even touch him, a woman touching a man in that setting. And all of that's taking place. Um, and, and then she has, as most women did, a, a, a little bottle of perfume or ointment uh, around her neck that she would carry. And so she took that and she would anointed Jesus' feet um, with it. Again, touching him. Scandalous. You can get the sense of disdain on Simon's lips as he thinks about this woman. How could she be here? And everything in his world and everything in that place is disrupted. But, but not only is he scornful against this woman, you get the sense he's scornful against Jesus too. You've got to be thinking, he's thinking, how does he know her? He sh- if he's a real prophet, he shouldn't even, he shouldn't know her. She shouldn't know him. How, when did they meet and in what circumstances did they meet? You can only imagine what's going on in Jesus' head as this woman comes and touches him and does all of, all of this Simon, you see. And his life would have no category in his brain for real forgiveness. Because see, his life was one of obeying the law. And if you obeyed the law, you were accepted. If you didn't obey the law, you were condemned. And that was that. But now there's this category of forgiveness. And you can only imagine what he'd be thinking. Forgiveness, well, if you just forgive, then, then what's going to keep people from just disobeying all the time? And, and after all, I've obeyed all my years, my life. I've been, I've been living all these years uh, trying to qualify, if you will, for eternal life. And now she gets a get-out-of-hell-free card? I mean, what's forgiveness anyway? There is the reality of it. And so Jesus tells this parable. Now, a parable uh, is a story with a kicker. It's, it's there really to make a point and to kick someone. All right, kick everyone. Uh, these stories of, of Jesus. And so he tells a very simple story, one that everyone can understand. And, and you kind of get where it's going. You get the feeling that even Simon knew where it was going as well. And Jesus says, two debtors. Neither, one owes more than the other. But neither can pay back the debt. But both debts are forgiven. Canceled. Question. So who... Loves more. Well, Simon says, I suppose. You get the sense that he feels at that point like he's being played. And says, well, I suppose. Um, the one for whom uh, he canceled the larger debt. And, and Jesus said, you're exactly right. It, it is this larger, larger debt. And then, then that, that loves the most. And then Jesus asks this sort of funny question, at least to me. He says, do you see this woman? 
And if I'm Simon, I'm going, well, yeah. She's right here. How could you miss her? The big commotion that she made. Of course, I see her. But you get the sense that he didn't really see her. I mean, he saw her, but he didn't. I mean, he saw a sinner, but what he didn't see was a forgiven sinner. If he had seen a forgiven sinner, he'd understand the whole of it. So Jesus, do you see her really implied in that assignment? Do you see yourself? Do you see yourself really? And of course he didn't. He saw himself as righteous. Jesus saw him in the same way that he saw the woman. A sinner in need of forgiveness. This woman now forgiven. But Simon, do you really, do you really see? Do you really see? He didn't. He didn't see himself a candidate for forgiveness at all. And you wonder, how could he miss it? How could he, how could he miss his debt? Well, turn quickly to Luke and chapter 18. Because you see, we, we play tricks on ourselves that cause us to miss the debt that we owe. Luke chapter 18, very familiar. Again, parable of Jesus, verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. (laughs) If there was ever another parable that would fit this particular Pharisee and the story that we just read, well, you know, it's exactly what happened, isn't it? He trusted in himself. That he was righteous, but he treated others with contempt like this woman. Verse 10. Two men went into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. Um, If prostitutes were a category of tabloid sinner, so were tax collectors in the days of Jesus. Um, uh, They prostituted themselves uh, to Rome. They collected taxes uh, for the enemy, if you will, from the Israelites and cheated their own people. Thus, you can see they were low on the totem pole there. Verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm like, not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. You see, one of the tricks that we play is that we compare ourselves with others. And we can always find somebody who's a greater sinner than, than we are, you know? You're driving down the highway at 81. Not age, but miles per hour. You're going down the highway, and uh, passengers are kind of looking at you like, I think you're going a bit fast. But then someone passes you, and all of a sudden you feel great. You know? Well, look at that. Truth of the matter is, you're both speeding. But but no, I'm not as bad as that speeder. And you say, that person should get caught, right? They say, even in prisons, there's, there's gradations, if you will, of, of, of crimes. And some are considered to be untouchables. I mean, you can't go around those people because you know what they did. And so, so we do that. We make these comparisons. And as long as we're making these comparisons, you see, we're going to miss our debt. We're going to miss what we owe God. Because you see, there's a couple of debts, really. One is we, we owe him loving, joyful obedience because he's God. 
We're to obey him, you see. And thus we owe him, even in the best sense, that obedience. Because he's God. And he loves us and everything about him is right. And so what he commands us to do is right. So, so this obedience we owe him. But, but then we also owe the debt of our disobedience because he's just and holy. And so when we disobey him, then there's a debt that must be paid, this penalty, this punishment. And the truth of the matter is we can pay neither and live. We can't obey. We've proven that. Thus we owe this debt we cannot pay. So if we're comparing ourselves with each other, though we look good, but when we really see ourselves in light of the holiness of God, then oh. Then the second trick that we play, verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week, I give tithes. Of all that I get. In other words, now he's summarized this particular Pharisee. He's summarized the whole law into saying, as long as I, I fast and tithe, I'm good. Now, I know the, the law says that I'm to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm to love my neighbor as myself. And I know all of that. But, but I, I've taken all that and said, well, here's how I can do that. I can fast and I can give. And, and, and that's representative of that I've really done it all. It says nothing about my heart. It says nothing about everything else. It says nothing about why. But, but see, what we do is then we redefine what's expected into that which is doable. And so I do that. I can do it. I, I, I compare myself with others. I'm a little better. So then I, I miss it. And, and this Pharisee at the dinner party... This man, Simon, he, he, he didn't see it. He saw hers because he was better than she. He compared, but, and then he looked at what he did in his life. And surely she had never even probably prayed in the temple. And he did it all the time. She probably never gave anything, but he did all the time. She probably never fasted, but he did all the time. And so, so surely he was better. And he wasn't like her, didn't he, what she needed. But, but, but because of that, he missed it, you see. He missed seeing Jesus. And so his encounter with Jesus was such that he disdained him. He was scornful of him. Because Jesus had the audacity to forgive this woman and to receive her love as she expressed it. Hmm. You see, our lives as believers are to be constantly and always dependent upon Jesus because he's the one who has paid the debt for us, we rely upon him to pay the debt. He paid the debt of obedience by his own obedience. That's why we often stress what in technical theological terms is the active obedience of Christ. That is, he actively obeyed. He took the law and he obeyed everything perfectly. And he did that to please his father. And he did that as our representative, as our substitute. He did that for us, as us. He obeyed the law. 
That's why I stress often in my own life, and I, I encourage you to stress this as well. Every place where I've disobeyed, Jesus has obeyed. No excuse for me to keep disobeying. I get that. But also no excuse for me not to receive his righteousness. As we talk about righteousness imputed to us, credited to us, given to us, his obedience to us. Paid that debt. And then he took the debt of our sin upon the cross to die for us, you see. So when Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, that we'll pray after communion, forgive us our debts. That's a deep thing. We owe he paid. That's the forgiveness. He paid. He did it. So we live utterly, you see, dependent upon him. Uh, 18th century uh, English uh, pastor, not very well known, named uh, John uh, Bearridge. I just happened upon him because I happened upon things like this. was converted after he was ordained to the ministry. (laughs) Happened a great deal in those centuries. Still happens today uh, from time to time in various uh, denominations that don't stress the gospel as they ought. And then some preachers in those uh, denominations actually read the Bible and uh, hear it and are converted sometime after their um, ordination. So he was one such as that. And and here's how he describes his conversion. He says, once I went to Jesus as a coxcomb, which is an arrogant, conceited person, and gave myself fine airs. It's British, 18th century, which means I gave myself good marks. Fancying if he were something, so was I. If he had merit, so did I. I used him. As a healthy man will use a walking stick, lean an ounce upon it. In other words, if you're a healthy person and you have a walking stick, you don't really use it. You just lean a little bit upon it. It's not really necessary for you. She says, that's how I use Jesus. Just, oh, you know, just as a little bit. But now, he says, he's my whole crutch. No foot can stir a step without him. He's my all, as he ought to be if he were to become my savior and bids me cast all my care on him. My heart can have no rest unless it leans upon him wholly and then it feels his, his peace. That's it. That's what this woman knew. That's what Simon didn't know. He wanted Jesus to come just to lean on him an ounce because he thought himself to be a healthy person and didn't really need Jesus as his crutch. He didn't really need him, you see. All is well. I'm fine. I can use you. It helps me to know you perhaps and you've been in my house and I can evaluate you. I can go make a report about you and all of that, but but, but I don't really need you. But she said, no, 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 no. I need you. I need to lean my whole upon you. You're my whole crutch. Without you, I can't take a step. Without you, I fall. Without you, I'm nothing. And so that was the difference before her. And so Jesus then puts it all together in verse 47. He says to Simon, look at what you've done. 
or didn't do. Look at what she did. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. If I could just take a moment on the sentence. The word for there can be a little confusing. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. That kind of gives the impression that because she loved much, she was forgiven. It's exactly the opposite. We know this is the opposite from the story that's told. We know it from the next sentence. He was forgiven little, loves little. The for there doesn't mean because as much as it means in light of or seeing that. In other words, the sentence is perhaps most helpfully understood. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And, and we've seen that because she loves much. Her love is a reflection of the fact that she has been forgiven. And certainly that is the case uh, for her. She knew that the debt was paid. She knew that she couldn't pay it. She knew that she didn't pay it. And she knew that since it was paid, though, everything was hers. If I may quote another British preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He says this. When we think too lightly of sin, we think too lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before his God, convicted and condemned, with a rope about his neck, is the man to weep for joy when he's pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. Right? I mean, we really need to have this sense that there we are with a rope around our necks. And it's been taken off, not because we deserve it, but because it's been taken off and put around another. And the other has actually taken then our death. And to really be that close to it, really see it like that. There's a powerful story told. I'm going to struggle with it and you'll see why. Not struggle emotionally, but if I can say all the words, because some of the words aren't fitting for a sanctuary. So I'll leave it out, but you'll get what it is. But a, a bishop of Paris, who was the bishop of Paris until 2005, he died in 2007. I can't pronounce his name because it's French. And you'll find this story in a variety of different ways. My sense is he probably told it in a variety of different ways, but it's a true one, and the punchline will take your breath away. He tells the story that there was a gang of boys in Paris, and they had an initiation rite, many of them, but one of the initiation rites was to go to the, to the church and to make confession of outlandish sins. Just make them up. Just go on and on about them to, to, to confuse the priest, if you will. He says, so one of the boys did that and he, he went to the priest and he confessed all these tremendous sins. But the priest caught on to what the boy was doing. And so he said, I want you to do this as your penance. And he says, I want you to go before the cross, before the altar. And I want you to stand in front of the cross. And I want you to say, Jesus Christ, you died for my sins, but I don't give up. I want you to say that three times. So just the boy went to the cross and he said it once. But then he went to say it again and he choked on his words and on his tears. 
And then he said, this boy stands before you today. Because when we really see it, when we really see that the debt has been paid by the Holy One, then all we can do is stand before him and say, Jesus Christ, you died for my sins. I love you. That's the sense of it, you see. That's what was happening today. That's what took place in this woman's life. She knew it. And, and, and sometimes I think because we, especially many of us raised up in the church, uh, we look at our lives and we make the list of things we've done right and wrong and all those kinds of things. And it, it seems like we're all right. We're really not that bad after all. Or, or perhaps we, you know, been in the church a long time and we've, you know, God has sanctified us to a point and so all that's good. And, and, and it's easy to forget the, the, the forgiveness. And, and, and as, when we forget that, then our, our love begins to, begins to dim, you see. So we need to meditate on the holiness of God. We need to see it. We need to understand our innate sinfulness and what Christ has really done for us. And then when we look at sinners, oh, we don't disdain them. We, we see ourselves. And we continue to look to Christ. What was it that Jesus said to the church in Ephesus? We have in Revelation 3. You've, you, you've, you've, you've lost your first love, you see. And that first love gets lost when somehow we forget that we really don't deserve it, that it really is a gift, that, that it really is a savior of real sinners, that we're that way. The rope really was around our necks, and it was taken off. And it wasn't just taken off, taken off. It was taken off and put on another. The one in the crowd who didn't deserve to die, but yet came up and died so we could live. If, if, if you've actually lived that, I don't think, You would ever forget that. But we really have lived that. Thus, we mustn't ever forget that. So that our love would, you see, continue. So then verse 48. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And we say, well, why does he say that? Even though her sins had been forgiven. If they hadn't been forgiven, she wouldn't have come in. She wouldn't have shown her love like that. She knew she was forgiven. But but what a wonderful gift of Jesus. In the midst of all of this big to-do... To, to look at her and say to everybody around, both those guests right there and everybody standing around the periphery, he was able to say, let me explain why all this has happened to you. Her sins are forgiven. That's why she's doing all of this. Uh, I want you to know. And then just wonderful assurance for her. I mean, you can only imagine the look on Simon's face and everybody else is looking at her at that moment. I mean, I think when she first came in, she was no doubt just caught up and overwhelmed in the moment, overwhelmed that Jesus is here and all of this that she did. And and, and then after it was all over, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've done things and, and then afterwards I, I stop and I go, was that okay? You know? And you get the sense that perhaps she's going, was that okay? I mean... Doesn't look like it was okay to the rest of you. And so Jesus clears all that up and he says, their sins are forgiven. I mean, this is exactly what people whose sins are forgiven should be doing. So it's fine, your sins are forgiven. And, and then and then to her, her own assurance. I don't know about you, but, you know, feelings and thoughts and all kinds of things can come into our heads. 
And we begin to doubt, have I really been forgiven? Do I really belong to him? And this was Jesus saying, no, 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 you really are forgiven. And that word is so necessary. That's why, one of the reasons, we confess sins every Sunday and hear the word of assurance. Why? Why? Because it's easy to forget and we want to mark that down week by week by week by week to carry us through the week, to give us a model of how we're supposed to live our lives, to see the holiness of God. And yet even when we see our sins, then to make confession, but to hear that word of Jesus, uh, I confessed my iniquity and he forgave me to really hear that. And we hear from the scripture, we're hearing it, of course, from uh, the Lord Jesus. And then he summarizes it completely. Verse 49, then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? You see, he said it so they would, they would get it, who he is. And they're beginning to marvel, who can really forgive sins like this? And you remember, that was one of the things that really got Jesus killed. That, that was even more um, subduing than his miracles to the people. I mean, the miracles are great, but here's a man who could, who could say, your sins are forgiven. And I think I've shared my struggle with you before. Remember when Jesus had healed a person who was lame, he said, uh, uh, paralytic, he said, which is easier uh, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? And I think, I don't know. (laughs) Sounds like a trick question to me. I, I can't say rise up and walk, that's impossible. But neither can I look at someone and say your sins are forgiven. Only God can do that. So that's utterly impossible for a human being to do. I I can forgive you for sinning against me and you forgive me for sinning against you, but I can't forgive you your sins. Only God can do that. That's impossible for us. So they're both impossible for me. And Jesus said, but I can do them both. I can do it. And they said, but only God can do that. You must be claiming to be God. Right. You're finally seeing it. And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Because you see, what really saved her is she had met Jesus and believed in him. She believed in him. Her sins were forgiven. And knowing her sins were forgiven, then she loved. So the question to me, when I read this and encounter Jesus through Simon and through this woman, I have to ask the question, when I encounter Jesus Does it reveal in my heart love? Not just faith, yes, of course. But does it reveal that I love him? Hmm. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was with his disciples and he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and again, after giving uh, thanks, this too, he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. And what we're declaring is that we stand before him 
And we say, Jesus Christ, you died for my sins. I love you. Let's pray, Father. I pray for each of us that as we encounter the Lord Jesus today, even now in the midst of our worship, in the midst of our praying, in the midst of our singing, in the midst of this passage, as we encounter the Lord Jesus that we're able to say what's revealed in my heart is really love to him. And if we honestly look and say that's not what's revealed, then, then, then we need to ask the question, please. Do I know I'm forgiven? And then if, if that's shaky, we need to ask the question, do I believe I'm a sinner? So help us to see clearly your holiness, our debt, that Jesus has graciously paid it. Hmm. And then I pray that you would not only increase our faith, but also kindle, rekindle, fan into flame, love for Jesus. So please set this juice and this bread apart in such a way that we know that we're in his presence and that being in his presence reveals that we love him. And this I pray in Jesus' name.